Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we are going to be reading chapter 4 of As It Is Translated Correctly, pages 42 to 52. The title of the chapter is Different Bibles and Translations. I'll dedicate the program and then my wife and I will be reading the chapter tonight. She's a much quicker reader than I am, so it probably won't be as long of a chapter, but it is 10 pages, so. All right, I'll dedicate the program. O God, the Eternal Father, we come before thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. We ask thee, Father, to forgive us of our sins and our transgressions, that we might have thy spirit to be with us more fully. We thank Thee, Father, for the opportunity to do these studies that we might gain knowledge to understand where the scriptures come from and the different versions and the different translations that have been brought forth that we might have a correct understanding that it is not through man that we know the scriptures and we know doctrine but it is through thy holy spirit and that the scriptures are but a vehicle to help us to have an idea of what the doctrines are but ultimately it is not through the scriptures or through prophets that we know truth that it's through a confirmation of the holy spirit that we know truth and that's how we come unto thee we love thee, Father, and we thank thee for all of our many blessings. We thank thee for the atonement of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, that we might come back into thy presence, even though we are fallen man and women. We love thee and we ask for thy blessings to be upon us. In the name of Messiah, amen. Okay, so like I said, uh, my wife is going to be reading tonight along with me. Did you want to read? How do you want to do this? Just a page piece or... I got this. You got this, but... You commentary. Okay, I will... Unless I start stuttering. All right, here we go. This is my wife, Kim. Okay. Different Bibles and Translations. Chapter 4 of As It Is Translated Correctly. Pages 42... To 52. Our Bible is a collection of books written over a period of 1600 years. It gradually grew until its compilation consisted of 66 books, with the last one being written at the close of the first century AD. The arrangement of the books has differed through the years, but not necessarily in chronological order. The 20th century has seen a surge of new translations of these ancient manuscripts. All of them have their faults of course, but some of them are especially good and can be of great help to the Bible reader. 
How We Got the Bible, Lightfoot, page 116. Even the most popular and respected King James Bible is not complete and needed revision. No one translation is infallible. With the advance of time, it was inevitable that the revisions would have to be made of the classic King James Version. Number one, its translation was based on manuscripts of late instead of early dates. Number two, it contained obsolete expressions, which were often misleading. And number three, it did not always represent an exact translation of the original tongues. That's from the same uh, How We Got the Bible, Lightfoot, um, page 116. So now we come to another phase of the Bible, the history of its translation into the English language. Many of the early manuscripts came into England during the 4th century, but these were written in Latin, the language of the learned. But the common people were deserving and desirous of having it in their own language. Page 43. An unlearned man by the name of Cadmon? Cadmon. Cadmon. He was a saint. He was a saint. Arranged stories of the Bible into the Anglo-Saxon language during the 7th century. In 709, a fellow by the name of Aldheim, Aldhelm. Aldheim. Oh, I was right, Aldheim. <laughs> made a translation including Psalms. Then, in the last years of his life, a man named Bed, Bede, Bade. I'm trying to get the. Uh, That's okay. B E D E, Bade. Bade. Yeah, Bade. In 735, made a translation of the Book of John. At the close of the 9th century, King Alfred encouraged a translation of several sections of the Bible into English, but it wasn't until the 13th and 14th centuries that most of the Bible was translated into English. In the early or in the 1300s, it was an Oxford scholar and teacher, John Wycliffe, that accomplished the great work of getting the whole Bible translated, the first Protestant English version. He translated it from the Latin Vulgate and completed his work in 1382. Then, a few years later, one of Wycliffe's close friends and associates, John Purvey, corrected and revised Wycliffe's edition. However, Wycliffe's Bible was so well done that it became the basis for later versions. Tyndale, Coverdale, Matthew, Great, Geneva, Bishops, and the Authorized Versions. Can I say something? That's the many different kinds of versions that there are. So they don't really talk about Cademan in this. Yeah. They don't really talk about Cademan in this, but he's the one that um, put the hymn. He created hymns. Like, he didn't create... Like, they had hymns, like, back in the days where they were singing... David was singing the Psalms or whatever. But, like, Cademan, you should look him up. He's really, really awesome. He thought that um, making the the hymns into, I mean, the scriptures into hymns would help the laity learn the scriptures better. Smart. So he's the reason why we have hymns like we do in our modern day. And um, the only reason I know about him is because one of my favorite uh, bands, Christian bands, is called Cademan's Call. And I was like, who's Cademan? So I looked him up and I was like, oh, but Cademan's Call is awesome. I saw them in concert in, I think it was Salt Lake City or some suburb of Salt Lake City. 
like probably 15 years ago and they were with Jars of Clay and those were my two favorite bands back then, Christian bands. But you should look both of those bands up and look who Cademan is because he was really important in the reason why we have hymns the way we do today. So anyway, go ahead, Kim. Okay. One of the most famous Bibles was the Gutenberg Bible, named after the printer, Johann Gutenberg. A copy of it rests in the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., displayed in a specially built temperature and humidity controlled encasement. This Latin Bible was the first book printed with movable type and was published in the year 1456. It is a majestic piece of workmanship with 1,282 large double columned pages. That's huge. Following is the caption accompanying a display in the Gutenberg on the Gutenberg Bible. Keb. Yeah. When you read the page number, mm-hmm. please say what the page number is and what percentage you're at. Oh, and the percentage? Okay. Yeah, yeah I only did one. I okay. The first major work produced by printing the Holy Bible printed by the Gutenberg or by Gutenberg is still considered by many connoisseurs today to be the world's most beautiful book from the aesthetic point of view. The Mainz, or Mainz, inventor printed 190 copies of this 42-line Bible in the years from 1452 to 1455. Now we're on page 44 at 21%. Yep. Yep. Even though this method of printing was a very progressive step, it was not well received by some. Copyists protested that the printing that printing would destroy their means of livelihood. Aristocrats opposed it as a mechanical vulgarization and feared that it would lower the value of their manuscript libraries. Statesmen and clergy distrusted it as a possible vehicle of subversion ideas. That comes from the story of civilization, Will Durant, volume 6, page 159. It's kind of funny because every time that something new and upcoming came, ever in history all of the time there was always naysayers people who were like this is not good this is going to be bad and it's going to be the death of us you know it's how it always is it's like with ai they did the same thing when all these this new um ai would was invented and now it they do the same thing with audiobooks yeah audiobooks well the ai now they're like now it can write its own programming and be the end of man and but haven't you seen they the did the terminator? same thing when there was computers yeah in the yeah, terminator the matrix hold on i gotta tell you this <laughs> okay. is a complete tangent did you know that the terminator movies are the prequel to the matrix movies that is total fact terminator is what happened to put them in the matrix so they, they go together they're the same story just That's different weird different times of the same story is this your thing or somebody else came up with that i didn't come up with it that's so crazy okay (laughs) now we have to watch both of those series okay continuing on page 45 at 23 percent printing replaced um esoteric 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 manuscripts with inexpensive texts more exact and legible with a uniformity that became the standard in reading Scholars from all over began to publish and distribute their learning and their trades by means of the press. It became a cheap and accessible means of education. It made the Bible a common household possession and 
many began to investigate into the field of biblical criticism to correct and publish Bible manuscripts. This began the great explosion, which caused the vast ocean of Bible versions. And it, it's the whole reason it's the whole reason we have the Reformation, because as soon as people could start reading the Bible and seeing it wasn't talking about what they said it was talking about, like that was a big game changer. But Martin Luther was like one of the first ones. I mean, he wasn't the first, but he was a monk. But when people could start realizing, you know, people like Martin Luther weren't wrong about what they were complaining about, that's what got the the momentum going with the Reformation. So, mm-hmm. The next Englishman to undertake a translation of the Bible into English was William Tyndale. Tyndale was an Oxford and Cambridge scholar who saw the need for a Bible translated directly from the Greek and Hebrew instead of the Latin, thus reducing the number of errors in translation. But more than this, he endeavored to have the Bible in the hands of every Englishman. Quote, if God spare my life, he once said to an opponent, ere many years I will cause a boy that deriveth the plow shall know more of the scripture than thou doest. End quote. But it doesn't say where the quote is from. Tyndale received too much opposition in England to do the work of translating, so he went to Germany shortly after Luther had translated it into German. In 1525, his work was finished, but he, like Luther, received much opposition. The two were often identified with each other. He sought to have it published in Cologne. That says Cologne. Yeah. Okay. But had to flee to Worms. Those are interesting names for cities. Those are um, in Germany, I think. I think Cologne's on the Rhine River. I can't remember where Worms is, but that's also a city. And this is all one big old ta- uh, quote. Oh, is it's it? several pages long. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, he sought to have it published in Cologne, but had to flee to Worms, where his New Testament was completed. It was smuggled into England, where it was both hailed and condemned. The church spoke out against it and had it burned in public ceremony. By 1530, Tyndale had translated and published the Pentateuch. Pentateuch? Pentateuch. Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is um, the Greek Old Testament, and it it means the five books or the seven books. Five pent means yeah, five. Yeah, it's it's five. Anyway, um, the Pentateuch, the original one, was just the first five books of of Moses. Um, but then later on, there was additions made, um, <clears throat> Isaiah and Ezekiel and those type of things. But the original one was just five. Five pages, well, or five, five, the first five books of Moses. Other portions of the Old Testament followed in the next few years. However, the Romanists were constantly condemning him, resulting in Tyndale's betrayal and imprisonment in 1534. In 1536, he was strangled as he was crying. Lord, open the king of England's eyes. He was then burned at the stake. Page 46, 36%. It was about this same time that one of Tyndale's friends, Miles Coverdale, published his English translation of the Bible. It did not meet with the opposition that Tyndale's did and was better received and distributed. Other Bible translations appeared soon after, such as the Matthew Bible, 
Taverner's Bible and the Great Bible. By 1860 came the Geneva Bible because it was printed in Geneva. It became the most popular Bible because it was produced in legible type with accompanying commentaries and illustrations. It became the family Bible. It was also the first Bible to print each verse as a paragraph and to put words in italics, which were not in the original text. It has often been called the Breaches Bible because it is said that Adam and Eve sewed fig tree leaves together and made themselves breeches. Breaches. It's breeches. It's breeches. Okay, he says breeches, but it's spelled B-R-E-E-C-H-E-S. Yeah. That's what they used to call pants. I know. Breeches. But it says breeches. Whatever. The Geneva Bible was the Bible of Shakespeare and also the pilgrims who journeyed to America. But the Geneva Bible was not popular with most church officials who thought the commentaries were opinionated. Um, Guess what? All of the things that we have now are very opinionated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... I wonder if it's hard to tell which one is accurate because everybody has an opinion of what everything uh, means. It's because they don't care about the spirit or getting revelation. They just care about what the Bible says. Um, but the problem is there's so many different translations and people have had different interpretations that it's just ridiculous. But I was just going to say the Geneva Bible, I think was the one that was on the Mayflower and Kim is a Mayflowerist. <laughs> but you know what's funny? So her family came over on the Mayflower. I'm going to mute this out. <laughs> but my family was already in Connecticut when they got here. Well, I mean, my English, like, heritage, Scottish, English, German, whatever. But both of us have Indian uh, descendants or... Ancestors? No, not descendants. That would be came ancestors. After us. Okay. I'm not putting out any little baby Indians. <clears throat> okay. Anyway. <laughs> Kim doesn't really know what she is. Comanche or I Apache am myself. Or... I'm myself. Hold on. Oh my gosh. I'm Iroquois. Okay. Anyways, back to the Bible. The English clergy <laughs> then published a Bible known as the Bishop's Bible. However, the Catholic Church had grown weary of all the Bibles being circulated by the Protestants, so they issued their own to compete with them. It was complete by 1610 and was known as the Rhymes Dwy Translation. You're not going to correct me on that? I don't even know. Okay, Dwy. Okay, published by the College at Rhymes and the College at Dwy. It was the first Catholic Bible in English but it was translated from the Latin Vulgate version. A continuous production of new and different versions of the Bible began to flood the country because, A, better scholars were obtaining use of the manuscripts and could see where corrections should be made, B, older manuscripts were being found, which gave a clear and more accurate understanding, C, instead of revisions from the Latin manuscripts, scholars were using older Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. D, translations without the opinionated bias of the translators were implemented. How nice. We're on page 47 at 48%. I don't like the Latin. It was, the the translation is bad. The Vulgate, it's just a bad translation. They they would take words that, so repent, um, the word means to turn back to God, but they turned it into a word that meant to punish and to torture. Yeah. And that repentance has nothing to do with punishing yourself or torturing yourself. But that's what the, the Catholics did. 
was when they translated it from the Greek and the Hebrew, they turned it into something else to fit their agenda. So I don't know if you could hear me going, Ugh, when, I, when she was talking about the, the Latin Bible or the Vulgate. That's why I say, because like it, it's just the power of the church back then to, manip- to manipulate and control the people had nothing to do with the gospel or with um, salvation or anything like that. It was complete tyranny and it's disgusting. And like, I don't know if I have any ancestors that were part of that, but I do know that I have ancestors that hung Tinsdale and were all part of that because I have uh, a lot of royal ancestors, including Henry VIII and Charlemagne and those people and like the more I go back into history the more disgusted I am to see what they did and um, I'm I'm kind of ashamed to be a descendant is that right (laughs) a descendant yes my wife is a kindergarten teacher so she helps me (laughs) (laughs) so anyway but um go ahead Kim I'll just At this time, King James was pressured into establishing a version which would be better for all English-speaking people. One of the the few decent things that King James did was to organize a group of Greek and Hebrew scholars to publish an unbiased translation of the Bible. He appointed six working groups of 48 men, two at Westminster, two at Oxford, and two at Cambridge. These were scholars from many different religious backgrounds, but... All were subject to specific rules set down by the king. For example, there were to be no comments or bias. Each company was assigned particular portions of the Bible for translating, and each finished work was to be reviewed by the other groups. The result of this massive effort was the authorized version of the Bible, published in 1611. This King James translation was really more of a revision of the 1602 edition of the Bishop's Bible rather than a direct translation from ancient manuscripts. Some of the oldest manuscripts had not yet been found. After two years and nine months, the final, completed edition was ready for the printers. It was dedicated to the king, but was printed for the people. A good impartial English Bible had long been needed because others had so many errors in private interpretations The country was being torn apart by religious factions, and every Bible had its own doctrinal inclinations. Thus, the King James translation helped solve many of the problems in the religious climate in England. After three and a half centuries, it is still the most popular Bible, and it has become the standard for both the English and American people. But even the King James translation has undergone many changes since its first edition. As each year passed, new information, modifications, and corrections became necessary. Now we're on page 48, 59% done with the reading. The King James translation has passed through many editions and has been modernized considerably during the course of years. In 1613, a new edition was issued which contained more than 400 variations from the original printing. Countless other emendations... Yeah, okay, have taken place 
in the more than three centuries of its existence. So many changes, indeed, that the King James reader of today would be startled by the appearance of a 1611 edition. For example, Therefore, brethren, ye beseech you by the mercy of God that ye gave your bodies a living sacrifice, holy pledge to God. Pledged. Pledged. <laughs> Pledged. <laughs> it says P L E S Y N G E. Okay. A living service. A living. Reasonable. Reasonable. Romans 12.1, quote from How We Got the Bible, Lightfoot, page 102. Okay, first of all, that whole quote, it does say, therefore, brethren is spelt brethren, B-R-I-T-H-E-R-E-N, and then the letter Y capitalized. Ye brethren, what, the Y was spelt with a Y, no E. Yeah, Y. And then beseech was B-I-S-E-C-H-E. Then the word you is spelt as it is today. And then by is spelt B-I. And then the mercy of God that ye, Y-E. And then give, G-Y-V-E. Gave. gave yeah. Your. Yeah. Spelt you are. <laughs> uh, bodies, A. And then Lavinge, L-Y. Living. living L-Y-Y. No, L-Y-V-Y-N-G-E. <laughs> Living sacrifice, holy, holy, H O O L I. I don't know what that's supposed to be. To God, it's a pleasing, 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 pleasing to God. Did you know that the J had not yet been invented? In 1611, when this had been uh, first printed, it was not invented till later on in the 1600s. Interesting. So the J, like there was no Jesus, it was Jesus. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, let's continue on. Many new discoveries of older manuscripts have shown errors and have been a reason for revisions. For as the language changed, so must newer editions be printed. Obviously. <laughs> so yeah. you can read it. Some translations are good, and some are better. Improvements of translations ought to be welcomed and appreciated, but most important, an individual should use the translation which he favors and can understand the best. The most common Bible in recent centuries has been this King James translation. At the time it was printed, there were only a few works printed of the Greek Testament. There was Cardinal... Zimmons, do you know who that is? No. Okay. 1514 edition, Erasmus edition, printed in 1516, Stevens edition in 1546, and Beza's edition in 1562. It should be remembered that the King James Bible was not translated from any one particular manuscript. There is also a standard English edition of the Bible but it too had no standard Hebrew or Greek text for the master translation. In fact, nearly every major Bible publication is a hodgepodge edition, having many different manuscripts as its source. Some Bibles are compiled from only a few different manuscripts, while others are a compilation um, from many different texts. Now we're on page 49, 70% done with the reading. 
The English Revised Version was the work of 52 English scholars. An American committee of 30 assisted shortly after it began in 1870. Since the Americans did not agree on the translation, they left to later publish their own American Standard Revision. On many points, they did not agree with the English revisers, of which some idea may be formed from the fact that in the book of Job alone, they made 1,781 changes, while the English revisers made 1,004 changes, and that they disagreed concerning their renderings in 1,438 instances. See Mead figures in Dr. Schaaf's work, page 481. Other Bibles worthy of note include, number one, the Mafat Bible, 1913. Came under criticism from numerous translation liberties, Mofat rearranged some of the verses and chapters and stated that the traditional or Masoretic, Masoretic. Masoretic text of the Old Testament is often desperately corrupt. Mofat made corrections on nearly every page, yet his version received wide acclaim. And it's interesting because he wasn't, wasn't a prophet. He didn't know other than by his own logic. And it's because of the logic of man that we have the different translations. And it's because of the logic of man that we have the wrong translations, you know, in the scriptures. And it's because of the logic of man that that pastors and preachers and teachers teach the wrong interpretation of scripture because they don't go to God to find out what the truth is. They just teach from their logic. And every single church today has that problem. Every single one, including the LDS church, they all have the same problem. If you want to understand the correct interpretation of scripture, this is a do-it-yourself program. You cannot rely on a prophet, priest, bishop, or teacher in your church. You have to get it for yourself by revelation for yourself, even if it contradicts what your leaders are telling you. Because the only interpretation that matters is the one that God gives you. That's it. It's the only one that matters. Anyway, go ahead. Number two. The Revised Standard Version was prepared by 32 scholars. Upon its publication in 1946, it was said of this edition... No version produced in our country has ever aroused so much antagonism, some justified and some unjustified. PTL, Counselor's Bible, page 1224. Number three, the Berkeley version, 1959, translated every word into modern English terms. Number four, the New English Bible, 1970, took 50 Bible scholars 24 years to complete. Number five, the New American Bible, 1970, is a Catholic version which took 26 years for 50 scholars to complete. Page 50, 79%. Number six, the New American Standard, 1971, was translated by 54 Greek and Hebrew scholars and required 11 years to complete. Human nature being what it is, the many versions of the Bible simply illustrate the differences of opinion among both individuals and groups. Through the centuries, the constant flow of Bibles has been perhaps more confusing than helpful, 
In addition to the versions already mentioned, are those listed below. Only a small portion of the hundreds of different Bibles that have circulated around the world. Yet they are all supposed to be the same Bible. Okay, let me do it. Okay, he's going to do the list. No, I've got it right here. Okay. So when I copy it and put it in the reader program, it screws up the names and stuff. So I'm just going to read it from the uh, the book. Okay. Murdoch, te- New Testament, 20th Century New Testament, the Noines Version, the Bible, the American Translation, the Westcott Heart White Church, the Kramer, the White Mouth Version, Young's New Translation, Darby Goodspeed Bible, Good News, the Complete Bible, the Jerusalem Bible, Phillips Bible, the American Bible, the American Standard Revised Version, the Parallel Bible, the New World Version, the Naves Version, the Devotional Bible, the Book Inter- Interpreter's Bible, the American Bible Union, unif- uh, oh wait, American Bible Union, the Amplified Bible, the Center, Center, Centenary, Centenary, Holy Bible in Brief, Holy Scriptures, Reader's Digest Bible, and it's not on the list, but like since AI has come out, there's been a whole bunch of more Bibles, and I just heard of one the other day that I actually want to get because it just sounds, it makes me laugh. It's called the Pirate's Bible. I actually made Kim listen to part of it the other day. She was like, turn it off. I'm trying to go to sleep. (laughs) Well, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous, but I I just thought it was funny. Here's Kim. Okay, speaking of which, we have to hurry up and end this. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> okay. The records show that from the years 1777 to 1833, there were more than 500 separate editions of the Bible, or parts thereof, published in America alone. See Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible, Robert Matthews, page 8. In spite of the existence of so many Bible versions, the Protestants generally conclude, we're on page 51 now, 88% done. Although there is agreement about the accurate text of most of the Bible, discussion is likely to continue about a large number of disputed readings, the majority of which are of, of minor importance. It is therefore becoming ever more widely recognized that no particular translation of the Bible can be regarded as final and definitive. Encyclopedia of World Method- Methodism. Methodism, Volume 1, page 264. An interesting announcement of another Bible version was made around the turn of the century, at a time when the Bible was suffering from many mistranslations, additions, and deletions. Certain scholars decided to eliminate the most unbelievable stories and parables from the Bible, page 52, 92%. They wanted to print a Bible that didn't contain anything about the parting of the Red Sea, Joshua and his power over the sun and moon, three Hebrews in the fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den, and Jonah and the whale, as well as many other unbelievable stories and miracles. However, by deleting all of the spiritual and miraculous events of the Bible, there wouldn't be much left. Nevertheless, most ministers today are more willing to accept the unbelievable stories than the actual doctrines of the sectarians really believed in the Bible, or believed the Bible, as they say they do. Joseph Smith would have had no difficulty teaching the fullness of the gospel of Christ to this dispensation. Because there are so many different Bibles, it tends to create different religions. 
consider the Protestants using only the King James translation and how they continually disagree with each other. How is it that so many different religions could result from just one translation of the Bible? Simply said, they all interpret it differently. When the question was asked, Joseph Smith, wherein do you differ from other sects? He replied, in that we believe the Bible and all other sect profess to believe their interpretations of the Bible and their creeds. That comes from Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 3, page 28. And we're at page 53 now, chapter 5, Lost Books of the Bible. And that'll be the next uh, chapter that I put out. So anyway, um, they didn't really talk as much about the King James as I kind of wish that they would have. Um, did you know that there were many more books in the King James version of the Bible when it was first printed? And then they took those books out in the 1800s. And then that whole thing about Jesus, like there was no J in the old English. There was no J sounds. It was Jesus. Um, and J Jesus is a transliteration, but, um, all of the names of Jesus like through the centuries have been a transliteration of the original Hebrew Yeshua or Jesus. Uh, they, I, I can't remember in the Greek, they would call him, they couldn't say Yeshua had a hard time with that. So they call him Yeshua or no, Jesus, Yeshua or something like that. Anyway, but like, um, we're done with this chapter, but so in, um, the book Jesus the Christ written by James E. Talmadge in the Salt Lake Temple under the direction of the First Presidency. Um, I think it's on page, I can't remember anymore, 13 or 33 or something like that. James E. Talmadge actually talks about Jesus' name being Yeshua or Yehoshua. Um, one of them is, uh, is the Hebrew and the other one's the Aramaic. But but um, so I told one of my bishops when I was in a singles ward many years ago about that, and uh, he was about to come unglued on me. He says, oh, his name's Jesus. And I said, but like this is in Jesus the Christ. And he says, I don't care what that book says. I was like, that book was written in the temple under the direction of the first presidency by an apostle. And he's all, we have apostles and prophets today. And they say his name is Jesus. And I was like, the J wasn't even invented until after the King James version of the Bible had been written in 1611. There were no J sounds in Hebrew. His name could not have been Jesus. It was Yeshua, and like this guy was about ready to excommunicate me or discipline me or something on the spot over the whole thing. And I just backed off because I realized it's no point talking to some administrative leader in a church that's not a theologian and doesn't understand these things. These men, they might be good people, but... Um, they're not educated people, not in the scriptures, um, but neither are the leaders of the church. They're not educated in the scriptures either, not educated in things like this. Um, they are administrative leaders. That's all they are. They're Babylonian businessmen 
who have hijacked the church and uh, they don't have revelation anymore. They don't have any of that. Um, if they're directing the church, it's either by the inspiration of men or by the inspiration of God uh, or by the inspiration of the devil. Take your pick. You know, if it's of God, great. But it's not revelation. And they don't get revelation. So anyway, but um, reading this stuff, it actually helps us to understand where the Bible comes from. So, and like the whole point of this, I'm not trying to um, separate anyone from the church. What my goal is, is to help people realize that they cannot trust men, that they have to go to God. A prophet or an apostle can tell you 100% truth and you can misinterpret it in your own mind. In order to get it right, you have to take what you believe you're hearing to God and ask him for a confirmation of the spirit and of truth. And when you receive that, you can be built upon the rock of revelation, not on the, the sands of fallible men. So anyway, um, like Kim was talking about, the next chapter is called The Lost Books of the Bible. And it'll be the next thing that we read. Um, but thank you, Kim, for reading. She always wants to go to bed. Like, it's hard to do these radio programs because I have to either do them before they wake up or after they go to bed. And even that's kind of hard because my uh, four-year-old son is a night owl. He will stay up all night if you let him. And my 18-year-old son is his, what would you call him? Partner in crime. Yeah, partner in crime. Like, they're ridiculous. Um, yeah, so it's hard to it's hard to do it at night, even though everybody else has gone to bed. And it's hard to do it in the morning because I'm just exhausted all the time. In my last program, I yawned all the way through that. But I was like, oh, this is the only time I have to do it, so... Anyway, but luckily tonight, it's Sunday night, and Kim and I um, are settled down and ready to go to bed, so she agreed not to go to bed at 8. Yawn. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, so I set it up, and she got ready for bed, and we got to be able to record. She hasn't done this for a while, but she still is here. She hasn't gone anywhere. She's just really busy, like I am. <laughs> but somehow I'm able to figure out a time to do this, but she doesn't have time to do this. So, Anyway, thank you for reading tonight, Kim. You're welcome. And uh, we'll uh, let it go at that. Until next time, may God be with you. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless and goodbye. Thank you.
Sağ 